0: Hey everyone, welcome to coffee with your counselors, Miss Deeds and Ms. Amy. A time of the day where we can have a brain break together to think about how to care for ourselves and to interact with the world around us. Hope you enjoy our time together. Welcome everyone to our fourth episode. We have some special guests joining us today. And today we're gonna to talk about the wonderful person of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. We have Ms. Shepline and Ms. O'Brien with us. So we're so happy that you can join us today.
1: Glad to be here.
0: Thanks for the invite. Why don't we start off talking about be,
2: be, 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 can't see? the notorious
0: the RBG. And maybe we can just in general talk about what are some things that you know about her and ways that she's contributed to where we are today as a society and even as women.
2: Well, I really love the personal side of (laughs) RBG. You know, um, she was married to her husband Marty and she said, I watched this documentary on her and they had talked about how he was the first um, guy that cared that she had a brain. So she knew that he was the one right away because he cared about that. And then, I think in the documentary, they said that she would like go out, one of them, either her or him, would go out every night with somebody different for like the whole first semester. And then when they dated, then it was like over and they were together. And then, you know, obviously down the road, they got married. And whenever they were both going to law school, he was really sick. So, she would like go to class for him um, and take notes and then do her own work as well. And then like get no sleep and wake up and do it all again. And then eventually they had like a kid too. And so then she was like taking care of the kid and doing all of that while he was sick. And I was just like, whoa, that's a lot of work. I just think, you know, the passion that she had that went throughout her whole life was awesome. And then her husband really encouraged her to, um, you know, keep pushing and like I think the, um, she, like he helped her get nominated to get on the Supreme Court because she didn't like lobby for himself, herself. He helped her with that because he had all these connections with like politicians and other people. And yeah, he was just so supportive. And I hope that I found my Marty and I hope that everybody else can find their Marty too.
1: I also find her work ethic just absolutely astonishing. Uh, particularly the fact that she was in her 80s and worked out daily in addition to working like well into the early hours of the morning and I, I just don't know how she did it for so many years from, from the time she was in law school as you were pointing out Christy to like the very end of her life. She just worked and worked and worked. Yeah, and
3: actually, um, one slight correction to your description, uh, Christy, is that they actually had their daughter before they went to law school. Or she Mm -hmm. became a mom before she entered Harvard Law. So when you were describing that like she was not only a student herself, I think her husband did enter a year before her. But um, not only was she a student herself, but she was also taking notes for him, as you mentioned, because he, he had a cancer diagnosis and they had a kid. And I just can't imagine that, just mm-hmm. kind of crazy. Yeah. Um,
2: and she was yeah, like- because parents don't of- even get any sleep regularly. Like, <laughs> so like, it's like no sleep, plus all this hard work uh, with like, you know, lots of people find it very hard to get into law school anyways. And so that, I don't know, she's amazing.
3: And she was always like top of her class. Um, not that you need to be like number one, but again, I think given that she's a woman going to school in these predominantly male institutions, oh. like she was top of the class, both in undergrad at Cornell and later when she, she transferred to Columbia Law School to finish up um, because her husband did take a job in New York City, but she graduated top in her class at Columbia. And it's just like, I don't know it is amazing and you know mentioning the work ethic too i i remember this past year she'd been hospitalized you know a few times and um and it it, they always said that like she'd be like back to work like as soon as she could and i think she's somebody i mean i know that that describing this could come across as like a workaholic and like there could be some unhealthy aspects to that too um i guess but um but it also it just sounds as though it, it um was really important to her and really drove her. And like, I've been struck in so many interviews that people um, just talk about what a good friend she was. And like, they mention all these other positive things that it seems like she somehow was like able to do so much.
0: Yeah. And I also think just, you know, being women in this time and age, we don't really understand the context that she was in when she went to law school. The fact that she was one of nine women in over 500 men in law school, it kind of boggles my mind, you know, like that she actually, like that kind of society existed not very long ago, just like, I don't know, three decades ago, so maybe four, but yeah, I just feel like she just was, is iconic, you know, and uh, kind of rose to the challenges of her time and didn't really she wasn't like, uh, hindered or inhibited, but she just kind of did her thing. And that's something that I also, like, if you think about who she is as a person and in her character, she's not like flashy necessarily, or, you know, very, uh, um, overbearing, but I feel like she just did what she knew that she was good at and she did it well. And she made such an impact on society just by doing her best at what she was given, you know, and it's just amazing, so inspiring.
2: Yeah, and I feel like she also proved that you don't have to be the loudest person in the room in order to be a leader because I feel like she very much so like sat back and took in the information and made thoughtful responses to what was happening in the room and she wasn't like, you know, just trying to boss everybody around or anything like that and I think, you know, she also kind of changed her um, like where she was on the spectrum of like the judges over time because she, she felt like she had to be a stronger voice because of the, how the different judges had changed over time. And so she had to be more outspoken and, you know, step up to the plate more versus like hanging out in the background.
1: Yeah, one of the points that you're making, Christy, was something that really resonated with me when I first saw the documentary RBG. Uh, In the documentary, she's represented as being this like introverted, quiet, reserved person, which I really identify with. And I just, I, I so appreciated the film's representation of those qualities in such a heroic person. Like it was so refreshing to have this really powerful, heroic figure who is also an introvert, because I feel like that really isn't represented very often in society Um, and she can be both quiet and incredibly powerful and I love that
0: yeah I totally agree with you
1: it just inspired me
0: to want to be the best that I can be in what I'm given you know in my own role because I think a lot of times we think that we have to be we have we feel pressure to kind of change things or make an impact and we feel like we need to figure out a way to do so but a lot of her impact came from the character of who she is and her own personhood and being the best at what she could be you know and the fact that she was brilliant and then she she poured herself into law and then and then kind of what like what miss deeds was saying about the support that she had in marty and I don't know, it just makes me feel like, okay, I don't know what I can do to impact society, but I know that today I want to do my best with every student that I meet and being a counselor and being a mom and just thinking about my roles and say, well, I can't change the world by myself, but I can impact one person at a time, you know? And I feel like she did that, but she did it in such a grand scale that she probably, never even expected herself you know like just because she was quieter and i don't even know if that was her intention to do that you know but that's how her future kind of like opened up so so inspiring
1: what you're saying ms han reminded me of a quote from rbg which is i would like to be remembered as someone who used whatever talent she had to do her work to the very best of her ability which i feel like is really understated. Like I feel like her legacy is so much larger than that, but I think what you're pointing out, Ms. Han, is really in keeping with like how she saw her role on the Supreme Court and with what she saw as her purpose in life to, to use her talent to do what she can to the best of her ability. And I think that that's something that we can all relate to also. It's a, a totally um universal goal that we can all keep in mind in our lives
3: yeah and you know in recent years with the balance of the court um you know she was famous in in a lot of really close cases she was often on the quote-unquote losing side in terms of the votes if they were like a 5-4 vote she was often a part of the group of four and um as you know and students probably have read about this too she became really famous for these dissenting opinions and so when a case is decided at the supreme court um, the majority always writes an opinion there's always a dissenting opinion there's actually opportunities to write additional opinions if somebody wants to it's called a concurring opinion if somebody wants to like say you know i agree or disagree but for slightly different legal reasons but um and what Valerie was just saying made me think of that too. You know, even though she—I uh, don't know if using the language "win" is the right language—but you know, even though the side that she supported did not did not in the end uh, get get the necessary votes in the Supreme Court, she still poured herself into her writing and wrote um, these opinions that you know will. Um, be able to be read for generations and and it's not unheard of for a supreme court to eventually change their mind on something i mean we've seen that you know probably one of the more famous cases would be brown versus board of education in the 1950s overturning you know plessy versus ferguson several decades earlier so um her writing you know and my understanding is you know she did a lot of all most of the justices do a lot of their own writing um but i think just the power of of words and um
1: persuasion i guess and i love also that she dissented so powerfully Mm -hmm. i think it's particularly difficult for women in our society to to voice dissent and so I really admire that a lot of her most powerful writing is actually in her dissenting opinions. And I'm not totally sure
3: about what I'm about to say, but I'm pretty certain that, so you can just issue the dissenting opinion, like it's, you know, it's just in print, but you can also choose to like say it out loud. And I think that for certain cases that she chose to do that. And I think that's really powerful too.
1: Yeah, I, I heard on a New York Times podcast, The Daily, that she chose to read the dissent for, I think it was the Lily Ledbetter case um, about pay discrimination, gender discrimination and pay inequity in the workplace. Um, and that seemed like a particularly important case uh, to to be really vocal about.
2: Yeah, I just love how she, like, says things in general because I don't know like every time I read a quote from her I'm like oh my gosh I feel so empowered I'm so happy to be a woman (laughs) like I don't know it's just crazy like she said um, her mother told her to be a lady and for her that that meant to be your own person and be independent and I was like so true like preach right (laughs) I don't know like obviously those aren't crazy things that you've never thought about before, but the way that she's able to like put words together and then like make people feel empowered, I think is just very amazing. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, in the documentary, it also talked about her wardrobe and uh, I don't know what they're called, but the thing that she would wear around her neck. Collars. Collars Mm -hmm. and how she had all these different collars and she had one specifically for dissenting. Why love that? It was like, yeah, so fashionable and it just became so her. I love that.
3: (laughs) It's just like it's like literally wearing your your descent, (laughs) you know, like your opinion. Like I love
0: that.
3: So I mean this goes back to something that you somebody said earlier. um, but it just seems like given the times that she was growing up you know, living in, not to say that it's, it's perfect today, we could talk about sex discrimination today too, but it just seems like there could have been so many points where she, I don't wanna say gave up, but just kind of like chose a totally different life path for herself. And like, I was thinking about how my understanding is after she finished law school, you know, like law firms wouldn't hire her, even though she was top of her class because she was a mom. And I think back to myself, um, like one of the jobs that I I've had, like, I actually interviewed for the job, like 38 weeks pregnant, you know, and it, it just seems like that type of thing, like would never, would, would definitely have not have happened a long time ago that you would even be
1: interviewed for the job, but then given the job. And I feel like RBG's legacy is so important for that specific example. Uh, like one of her great achievements as a lawyer with the ACLU, I think, is um, in a, a case that ended up preventing discrimination for pregnancy in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Ms. Shepley, you may know that case better than I do. I I remember it from the documentary RBG and some podcasts I've been listening to. I don't. I don't. I remember. I don't remember much more than that. But yeah.
3: Um, although, um, she did also argue before the Supreme court, um, six times, Mm -hmm. um, as a lawyer. And I think she won like five out of the six, but that is just amazing to, to be able, it's like so few lawyers get to actually argue at the Supreme court. And when she did, Actually, there was no there was it was before Sandra Day O'Connor was a justice on the Supreme Court. So there were there was no woman up there. Yeah. And one thing that's interesting, I don't know, my this is partially thinking about a relative of mine who was reminiscing also about RBG, but um, like she's just so physically tiny, this <laughs> tiny, powerful woman. And um I think she was probably uh, I, I bet a lot of people made all, made lots of assumptions about her that she <laughs> surprised them on.
2: Yeah, and I think, you know, showing that she did like the opera and like the working out, like Valerie mentioned earlier, and like she did do so many things to take care of herself so she could be the best that she could be when she was on um, and spending time with her family or going and learning about, other random things like she always tried to keep her mind active and she knew that by doing those things long term that was going to give her the ability to be more present and on point um for the legal aspect of her life you know um but she was so current with like the current um generation right like I don't know what it was about her she was just so likable in the way that she could be I don't know, like, someone you could approach and have a conversation with, maybe, because, you know, when people are scary, you don't want to have conversations with them, so maybe it was just, like, the approachable factor that she brought on, you know, and, like, my favorite part of the documentary was when she was, like, on the stage, and they were playing the Biggie Smalls, uh, the Notorious B.I.G. song, Mm -hmm. and she was, like, they were, like, I don't know, they said something like, how do you feel about being compared? And she was like, well, I don't think that we're very much different, you know, and I don't know, there's just something very refreshing about her. And (laughs) I appreciate her very much.
1: Yeah, I, I also love that she's become so iconic for girls and young women, uh, women of all ages. And it's really unusual for an 80 something year old woman to be a huge cultural icon. Uh, So I I think that's incredibly powerful and also refreshing and um, I love that little girls can dress up as a Supreme Court justice for Halloween and they can like see themselves in her and aspire to follow her legacy. Mm It's interesting too. I
3: think that um, that she also like spoke to women. I think with different viewpoints. Not saying all. I mean, I'm sure that there are some people who are not happy with her progressive. Um, Her 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 progressiveness, (laughs) Um, but like on my social media, I was surprised to see uh, friends and family of different like political persuasions like saying really um, admiring comments about her, Um, and I hadn't really seen that in a long time. Um, You know, we talk a lot about how polarized politically our society is, and I know there's been there's been a lot said about her like friendship with Antonin Scalia, who students may not know, but you know he um, died a few years ago, and um, he was one of the most conservative people on the court, and many uh, people who are liberal had a strong dislike for him and for his opinions, and um, I mean, I don't know. I read some articles that say that their friendship has been like really like hyped up, like maybe more than it should be. But I do think that it sounds like it, there was a genuine friendship there. And it makes me think back to um, some friendships that I have with people that have different views than me. And and I do sometimes wonder, like, um, I, I've wondered sometimes, like, should should we still be friends? Like we think so differently from each other. We, it seems we have really different values, but yet there's something about them that I'm still, I don't know, we're just still, we're still connect as human beings. And to see that be true for, for some, you know, somebody like her is, I guess, are just a reminder of how complex the human experience is. And there's a very famous photo, if you haven't seen it, of the two of them on top of an elephant, um, like on a, clearly on a vacation of some sort and it's just pretty awesome because you wouldn't expect either of them to be on top of an elephant let alone together
0: yeah that's very true and i'm really glad you brought that up in terms of just their relationship because um the documentary talks about how she was able to compartmentalize just even the difference in viewpoint but also like have basic human to human friendship and interaction. And I think we lose that a lot these days, especially within how things are so polarized in society, you know, and I think we kind of forget that we're talking to humans. And yeah, I feel like we're losing that a lot these days. But just seeing those interactions is really challenging. And yeah, just a good reminder that even if we have different viewpoints, we're still supposed to be respectful to each other and we can even go beyond just respect, but friendship too, you know, so.
2: And I think it helps you grow in a different way whenever you have a friend that doesn't necessarily believe in the same thing that you do. Um, Not necessarily like you're going to change your beliefs and agree with them, but it definitely makes you under, like, look at your, what you do believe in and challenge yourself of like, okay, why do I believe this? And is it worth continuing to invest my time in this? Or, you know what I mean? Like, you really understand more about yourself and, you know, challenge yourself to to push forward in whatever way going, you know, forward. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Another quote that I like of hers is fight for the things that you care about, but do it in a way that will lead others to join you. So, what I like about that one is that it's not like you're going to just fight like going kind of off of what you were just talking about with like having different views and stuff. Like you want to find a way to help bring others along. That's not going to be like loud in their face. Like I'm right. You're wrong type of an attitude. It's more like, Hey, let me show you why I believe this is true and why it's important. And how can I get you on board to like, come with me on this journey versus like, you know, a one way show.
1: And it seems like that quote speaks to a part of her strategy for uh, arguing cases before the Supreme Court when she was a lawyer and um, also building consensus as a Supreme Court Justice. Um, like she, she argued for gender equality to persuade the nine male Supreme Court Justices that uh, gender inequality hurts everyone and um, so like in particular, she, she argued a case related to a widower who was caring for his son after his wife had passed away and he mm-hmm. wasn't getting a, a, like federal benefit uh, as the sole caretaker in the family, the way that um, his wife would have if the situation were reversed. And so I, I think she was really strategic uh, in arguing for gender equality like, in that way, by defending a case where, uh, where the complainant is male, um, because that seems especially necessary in, in the 70s uh, for the Supreme Court at the time to, to build consensus to persuade them
2: yeah she also said quote don't be distracted by emotions like anger envy resentment these just zap energy and waste time (laughs) don't you love that i mean (laughs) yeah
3: i i do i wish that i could get to that point (laughs) in my own life yeah she sounds yeah she sounds very like oh i don't know what the right word would be i mean she clearly is this is has a lot of confidence which is really but it it i don't know i just wonder what it would be i wonder what it would be like if somebody that really knew her, like listened to us talking What what they would what what they would say about our observations
0: i don't know
2: I just think that that's so true because a lot of times, like when people get mad or they have resentment because somebody else got something that they wanted or something like that, they just waste a bunch of time on that. And like, there's nothing good that ever comes out of those situations. Like right now, kids are going through the college process and every year there's somebody that gets into a college that the person wants to go to and they don't get in, like, you know, like their friend will get in And they won't get in. And then it turns into a lot of anger and resentment that they did, you know, that I didn't get in. And why are they better than me? Or I know I'm better than them, which none of that is going to help your situation. And it's hurting your relationship and it's wasting everybody's time to like for you to have this like reaction. Like you can totally feel what you feel. And I appreciate that. But like, you know, if we're able to be like, you know, putting anger and res- and resentment, I feel like is something that us as a society feels a lot more regularly now um, because there's a lot more comparison of like what's going on in each other's lives because it's a lot more in your face than maybe it was 50 years ago. So you know, if there's a better way to deal with those emotions when you feel it, instead of harboring them and like sitting on them for long periods of time, because I feel like that's where people get into trouble because you can totally feel anger and you can totally be like, oh, I wish I had that. But like, if you just dwell on them, then they just hurt your own mental health and well-being versus like feeling them and then like letting them go, you know?
1: Can I share my favorite R B G quote? yeah so when she's asked when will there be enough women on the supreme court she responded when there are nine and she said people are shocked uh but her point is that there had been nine men until sandra day o'connor was appointed and so um and and that's just accepted as totally normal totally acceptable and so if we really want to achieve gender equality, then that, that means that having nine female Supreme Court justices also needs to be accepted as perfectly normal. And I love, I love the boldness of that quote.
2: Yeah. And why should it be a reaction of like, no, that's never going to be obtainable. Like who said it can't be, or, you know, it, it should be perfectly fine for us to believe like, Yeah. There could be nine Supreme Court justices that are women. Like, why not? Exactly. Why not? So, um, can I ask you guys some questions about, like, your stance? So, like, Valerie, you're the gender studies teacher. Melissa, you're the social studies teacher. Amy, you're a social worker. So, like... In regards to like changes um, for women for the future, like, you know, obviously we all felt inspired by either like things she's done or things she said and um, has left behind. So as you know, some I read somewhere it was like, she passes the torch on to the next generation. So how do you see the torch being passed on to like, you yeah.
1: So I think part of it or like an important part of her legacy that we all should strive to carry on is um, like making it possible for girls and women to see themselves in places of power and seeking to again another RBG quote to to um, put women in the all the places where decisions are being made so um, like actively creating spaces on committees or um, within the institutions where we work to to have women and um, people of other underrepresented groups in in positions of power and um, as part of conversations that are happening about decisions that affect all of us. Uh, I also think that just like supporting young women and helping them think about diverse futures for themselves is is an important part of her legacy. So um, like overcoming gender inequality in all sorts of fields in politics, in law, in Hollywood, in STEM, um, is really important to the work she did. She made it possible for so many women to, to take on roles that were not possible when she was a child or when she was a young woman. And so continuing to find ways to, to help other women um, find new roles for themselves is, is important.
2: Um, so another question that maybe some of our listeners might be thinking is how can we inspire some young, like the young people within uni to do something to pass the torch within the community? So sometimes I think we think of everything on a very large scale and it's hard to like put in practical things that we can do right here within our own hometown. Um, So do you guys have any suggestions on either how young women can be empowered to kind of take some things that we've talked about here, maybe some other things that they've read or how young men can also help support the young women of our community because it's not just young women fighting for young women, it should be young men helping to support our young women to feel empowered and go out there and do those things as well. So do you guys have any suggestions or thoughts about that?
1: Yeah, I agree that uh like active listening is a really important part of addressing this this issue. So, like listening to people whose perspective or background you don't share um and and listening openly and hearing them when they say that they feel like they've been discriminated against or when they're they're sharing openly about their experience. Um I think that's an important step. I know in a decade or so of teaching, I've encountered a number of students who um, are reluctant to acknowledge racial discrimination or gender discrimination when there's evidence of it in a text, and so I think openness to um, like, a particular person's experience or character's experience is really important. Um, in acknowledging the many inequities in our society. I also, going in a sort of different direction, I think um, it's important to be a conscientious consumer of culture. So seeking out books that are written by women or women of color or transgender authors uh, so that you're like filling your life with a variety of life experiences or seeking out tv shows or films that have women writers or women directors or um, that pass the Bechdel test so they have uh, multiple women characters talking to one another about something other than a man. Um, consuming those sorts of cultural texts is really important for creating more opportunities for texts like that to exist uh, and Creating more space for different kinds of stories to be told.
3: Yeah, I love all those ideas. Um, and I guess one other thing I thought of too is, I guess this is just more of a encouragement for everyone to be mindful. But is, um, you know, like at a place like uni, in a lot of our classes, we we're, we're discussing all these really intellectual ideas. But, I do think that sometimes we forget that um, some of the intellectual ideas that we're exploring are um, similar to life experiences that people have actually had, and or people might think that like I think one of the the hard parts with gender issues is that you know people some people assume that we've we've come so far from where we once were that maybe there isn't much more work to be done and And I think if we even reflect on some of our own spaces at uni, there's definitely some work that could be done. Um, And so I guess just, you mentioned active listening, but I think in that and paying attention to spaces that we're in and thinking about how can we um, make them even um, more inclusive.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing about RBG. And I really have appreciated this time together to reminisce about her and be inspired by her and be challenged personally about how we can make steps towards, you know, change in the future too, through the life that she lived. So thank you so much for joining us, Miss Sheplein and Miss O'Brien. Maybe we can end with that one quote, Miss O'Brien, that you had said before
1: yeah so rbg said i would like to be remembered as someone who used whatever talent she had to do her work to the very best of her ability
0: i think that's very just inspiring for all of us as we all have different unique abilities and talents that we have been given and to a degree it's our responsibility to do our best with them and watch how people and communities and the world can be impacted by that so thank you for joining us and thank you for rbg for just being an amazing person (laughs) thank you everyone
3: thanks so much this was fun thanks so much for the invitation